2: Hey Tommy, it's nice to have you back. You've been out of the studio for a while and that's what we're going to be talking about today, isn't it? Why, thank you. Yes, I have been out road tripping and seeing
3: America. Yeah, where did you go and what did you drive? The first trip I took was out to Utah in the Volkswagen Touareg or 2004 Volkswagen SUV. And then I just got back from a four-day adventure in rural South Dakota and Wyoming in our Land Rover Defender. No, you make it sound boring. You actually went to the Badlands, and you went to Mount Rushmore. And I went to Custer State Park, and I went to Devil's Tower National Monument, and I went off-roading, and it was a long, it was a
2: big deal. Before we get to that, you did have some issues along the way, uh, so we'll talk about that. So basically, we're going to be talking about what it's like to road trip in the new Defender. We're also going to be talking about the vehicles that are right now at the offices, which include what,
3: Tommy? We have so many. So we've got (laughs) the Toyota Tacoma, the Toyota 4Runner. Both of them are the new Trail Special Edition versions of those vehicles, which is pretty cool. And then we just seriously got probably six brand new trucks dropped off in the last hour.
2: All right. So let's talk about all that. We'll leave the trucks to Andre over at... uh Talking trucks, but let's talk about actually some truck news because, well, that podcast doesn't come out till Friday and Ford dropped some big truck news. Do we have a, like a a little uh, (sighs) opening montage song or some kind of a logo for news? This is the news with Tommy and Roman. There you go. There's the opening Uh, uh, montage. I love that. Thank you very much. But we do have big news. Uh, Ford just dropped the fact that the new electric F-150 is going to be called what? It's called Volkswagen. The Volkswagen. The Volkswagen. I would have never guessed. Well, you know, that's very ballsy of Ford.
3: (laughs) No, it's called the Lightning, which is a very clever throwback name to the old performance truck. But, of course, Lightning, Electricity, very clever. Yeah, and if you want to find out
2: everything about that, head on over to TFL Truck. Andre is right now, as we speak, Tommy, recording a breaking news video talking about all the details that Ford has let out of the bag regarding the new F-150 ev pickup truck you know i'm not surprised you know ford is not going to sit on their butt or on their hands waiting for rivian waiting for tesla to steal this limelight they're you know the number one vehicle that they build i think is obvious it's the f-150 and with electrification
3: coming they're not going to let competitors steal the limelight so ford says that the new electric truck will begin production in the spring of 2022 let him go over to the video Well, it's important. Guys, they've tuned into the podcast already. We should give them some tasty, tasty news. But there's video there too. Yeah, but this is a podcast.
2: All right. This give them the some
3: tasty, tasty news. Go for it. This is the new hip way to consume media now, as you should know, Dan. <laughs> Talking about it, huh? Uh, exactly. Yes. No. So over at tfltruck.com, we've got the article, but production will bring begin in the spring of 2022 at the Rouge Factory in Michigan. I
2: guess if you're you know, in your car listening to this or you're on a hike or walking your dog, it'd be very hard to go and Google uh, tfltruck.com.
3: Exactly. That's right. People are adventuring and listening to this podcast or maybe driving long distance over the road. It'd be, a, it'd be cool if there were some truckers out there listening to us. Not that any of them would want to listen to me blab on, but that would be a pretty cool thing. Now, we did break some news as well, Tommy. We were I
2: actually was poking around and uh, some other websites picked up uh, the news that we broke. Thanks to Adrian, who sent us these pictures, we got the first look at the new Mazda CX-5. And that's also a video over at TFL Cars YouTube channel or... Uh, over uh, on the website, but if you want to see, and this one you're going to have to go look at, because, you know, the news is the picture, you can see what the next uh, CX-5 is going to look like, which is uh, very similar to the current CX-5. It's
3: in full camo, so it's kind of hard to see, but rumors are that it may be called the CX-30.
2: Yeah, yeah. We, me and Andre talked about that in, in a video. No, nope, that's a lie. No. CX fifty. 50 I'm yeah, sorry. The thirty the, already. The thirty is already yeah, out. The CX yeah. fifty. Did you do a video about this too? Yeah, we, we we kind of speculated maybe they might put a straight six under the hood. You know, maybe it might be hybridized or electrified. Uh, there's a video, uh, a TFL car. But uh, if you want to see what it looks like, which is cool, you know, that's Mazda's most popular vehicle. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then uh, we can't talk about this too much, but I have to talk about it because I flew to LA for one day, Tommy, just for one day, for the brand new 2022 Volkswagen Tiguan, and I was one of the few journalists who actually got to have hands-on with it. So I was there in the studio when they unveiled it for us uh, to show it to us. At Volkswagen's, of course, most popular car as well, uh, mm-hmm. and they've done a. Pretty substantial refresh on it. And that uh, embargo, an embargo, by the way, in case you're wondering, is uh, Volkswagen gives us the news ahead of time. But then they make us promise that we won't talk about it until tomorrow at 4 p.m. MST or 6 p.m. EST uh, to give all the journalists a fair shot at bringing out the news at the same time. But
3: not all the journalists will have hands on, Tommy. Other news in the roundup this week. Yes. The 2021 Ford Explorer Timberline. So as is the trend with pretty much every manufacturer, Ford has decided they need to ruggedize the Explorer, and that is exactly what they have done. This is actually an interesting build because it's got skid plates underneath, a special rear diff. I don't know if it's any taller, actually. It might be a little bit taller than the standard Explorer. Is is it the most off-road worthy Explorer ever? Absolutely not. I think the (laughs) old ones are better, actually, because they had like (laughs) solid axles and a lot of ground clearance. But this is the most off-road worthy of the current Explorer. What do you think the, the ground clearance is? Oh, that's pretty probably eight and a half to nine inches. What is? Yes, but give me a more specific number. What's like the standard that Ford had to beat? I'm gonna say eight inches. No. No. What's the company that is renowned for making all-wheel drive vehicles You're with Jeep? No, all-wheel drive vehicles with an adventure twist. Subaru is eight point seven. So the new Explorer is nine. Eight point seven. Okay, All right. exactly the same. It's got steel skid plates. Andre was saying actually they took a lot of the Interceptor, the uh, the police version of the Explorer parts, yeah, and brought it into the Timberline too. It's uh, not the Interceptor. To make it it's called tougher. the utility. Oh,
2: I'm sorry, the utility. The Interceptor would be the car. Uh, actually, no, I think you actually might be right. I think they may have renamed the utility the Interceptor because they got rid of the car. That's what I thought. I think you're right, yeah. It used to be the, the Interceptor was the, the sedan and the utility was the SUV. And then they got rid of the sedan because they're only making you know trucks and SUVs now. So it might
3: be the Interceptor. It's the Ford Police Interceptor yeah. Utility. Very good, Tommy. That, that is the full name of it. But mm. um, anyways, check out that website or that information on the website too. And lastly, yep. we got a new um, Mercedes We did. Did you know this? We have a new Mercedes? Our first look. We we have
2: a a GLA 250 here at the parking lot. No, it's it's not that. Our first look Uh,
3: at the T-Class.
2: Oh, you know, they also unveiled the um, last week,
3: they unveiled the electric one, the EQC, I think. Oh, you're way behind. Yeah, I know. That was like three weeks ago. That was the EQS. But the EQT is the coolest looking minivan that Mercedes might build. Okay. It's really cool, actually. It's uh, like Mercedes' concept of, um, I believe, an electric minivan. Uh, Probably unlikely that we'll see it here in the U.S., but definitely worth a look on the website. It's got some funky interior designs and kind of looks like an uh, old-school Volkswagen Eurovan. Yeah,
2: you know, Tommy, I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm not sure I missed it. I, I just have a hard time after so many years of getting excited by vehicles that we're never going to get. I always feel like, uh, and this just keeps happening, like the Europeans get all the cool stuff. Uh, and outside of trucks and big ass SUVs, you know, we don't get the cool stuff.
3: Well, we, I mean, we get the AMGs and the we, have, we get the AMG wagon. That's pretty darn cool. Where is the Suzuki Jimny? Well, that's Suzuki left altogether. Where is the Skoda Yeti or whatever the hell it's called? Skoda has never been in the U.S. Where is the Fiat Panda? Yeah, I don't know where the Panda is. That's a good, finally a good one you made there. But uh, <laughs> you know what point. I
2: mean? I feel like I feel like you know the, uh, the Europeans get all the all the really cool cars, uh, and uh, I I say, outside of trucks, you know, they, we, and even performance vehicles, right? The Europeans like seem to have a much. We get muscle cars. I'll give you that. Right. But they seem to get a lot more of the newest, greatest, you know, sports cars than we ever get. But we have the Corvette. We do have the Corvette. You know, I I actually was thinking about the Corvette a lot recently. You know why?
3: Why? Because you went out and bought some white New Balances and you're ready to move (laughs) to Florida and retire? That's the C7, not the C8. Okay.
2: the, The C8, as you know, is the darling of all the YouTubers, bloggers, and influencers out there. Right. Everybody loves it. Uh, no, I was, I was like, you know, you know you like to play these mind games, right? If I had all the money in the world, would I get a Porsche 911 or would I get a Vette? Um, and that's because, as you know, we were walking blaze this morning and a new Porsche 911 went screaming by. Uh, it was the uh, 911 uh, convertible, mm-hmm. right? And we were trying to figure out how much it cost and the number. I, I'm guessing is it had like the special exhaust probably around 130, right, for a new 911 Convertible.
3: That sounds about right.
2: And then I thought to myself, uh, you know, you and, and the the Porsche 911 Targa, the one that we had when we were in California, was 142, even more expensive because the target's more, you know, it goes like coupe convertible Targa, right, in terms of pricing. Um, and I thought to myself, you can get a hell of a Corvette for that, and you get the Targa thrown in in every Corvette for nothing. They all come as a, as a Targa top.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I like the new Corvette a lot. It's an yeah. amazing piece of engineering. Yeah. I don't like the way it looks, actually. I think it's way too busy. I think the design is a little bit too cluttered. It looks like a jet fighter from behind. Yes, I agree. I think the audience is going to complain about your ice clinking. I'm moving it over here. Don't worry. we got to be careful. Remember, this to, is I professional podcasting. I have to
2: have an iced tea because, you know, you don't want to cough. Well, why don't you just have the tea? without the ice. Yeah, just have that's the tea. Not a bad idea. Exactly. Game changer. Um, but anyway, um you know, so for let's say $50,000 less, right, which is the cost of the defender which we'll be talking about soon, you can actually get a vehicle that performs just as well as a 911 and comes with the targa at no additional cost. And it looks pretty badass. It's mid-engine at this point. Value-wise, there's no doubt. But I still like the allure of the Porsche. You know what? You sound like one of those European snobs. All oh, the Americans can't build a sports car. All they we- can do is muscle cars. They can't go around to turn. I get so sick of you Europeans out there giving us crap for, you know, I think the newest Corvette is as good as any vehicle that the Europeans produce, be it Ferrari, be it, you know, name the supercar manufacturer. And it's a bargain compared to all those vehicles, and yet the Europeans give the Corvette no respect. No, no I, respect.
3: I give the new Corvette all the respect in the world. It is a world-class sports car beating killer.
2: Yeah.
3: I just I just don't like the way it looks. I just can't get over the weird I saw one points. going down
2: down the road the other day. I thought it was a Ferrari. I, I, saw, I was like, a, is that a Ferrari? No, it's a Corvette.
3: So I saw three in my um, grandparent's retirement city in Florida. Okay. Um, and uh, they are very interesting-looking cars. Uh-huh. Um, well, they,
2: here's the thing. The new one, it's got such a wide sill and such a low stance that anybody over the age of 70 will not be able to get out of oh, it these, these, without a cherry picker. These
3: guys were in their 90s. It was clear to me they were in their 90s. Yeah, like, how, do you get, how do they get in and out of it? Well, they just live in
2: it. I think that's just what you do now. I mean, That sill and the ground, is so, it's so low and so wide. I mean, you literally, you, you can fall into it. Like, getting into it's not a problem. It's getting out
3: of it. They've done a good job of really lowering the age demographic and bringing a new group of interested yes. customers. Yeah, just keeping keeping you from getting out of the thing. Uh, exactly, but I I don't know. It just I don't like the transmission very much. I don't think the dual clutch is very good. Um, I like the engine. I don't like the exhaust note as much as the C seven. Um, and I don't really fit in it very well. It's a it's a small it's a pretty tight space. I like a a, a 911 is built
2: for tall Germans. You know, this is it, it is tight. Uh, some people have complained about the HVAC controls that kind of go down the side, right? It's kind of hard to figure out which one is the driver's
3: and which one is the passenger's. It's very driver. Well, well, you'll figure that out though in the first week. But I just I think it's a little bit too tight in in the cabin, um, and yeah, I just. I don't know. I, I love it. I just don't don't love it enough to buy it over a 911. Not that I'll ever have that kind of K money. Less,
2: you'd still get that 911. I well, mean, that, that, like I said, that is a, a defender almost. You can get a Corvette and a defender. Yeah, but if you're the,
3: buying a 911, I don't think that the value is as is a so, big of a deal. So, like
2: your, your typical European snob, the 911 and the Corvette has just as much you know lineage, just as much provenance. So, can
3: you get an all-wheel drive Corvette?
2: You can't get an all wheel drive. Well, there you go. But there's a Z06 coming and there's an electrified coming. Which currently, probably...
3: currently can't get an all wheel drive one. And in Colorado, that's kind of a big yeah, deal I'll for you. I'll give you that.
2: Yeah. In Colorado, you'd have to have the C4. There's no way you could do a Corvette in the winter. Uh, it would be like a go down ice, um, you know, in the rain, let alone in the snow. All right. Well, should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about your. Uh, your. You've been out of the office a lot. Um, so let's let's leave the defender for the end. But let's talk about uh, your adventures in Moab in uh, the uh, Touareg. So you took the 2004 Touareg, our tough tee, which wasn't so tough. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, and you took two friends and you drove to Moab and you decided to go off roading in it. How was it as a highway
3: car? Well. It was very tough. It, it did, did show some electrical gremlins, but overall it was a very tough vehicle. It was good. It was very, very comfortable. So uh, in case you don't know, the Volkswagen Touareg was Volkswagen's first attempt at an SUV, it debuted here in the US in 2004, quickly gained a reli- reliability um, standard as being a basket case. Uh, but on our trip, especially if you get one with a lot of options in the air suspension, it's so comfortable. This was like a 57, $58,000 car when it was new in 04 which today is is a lot more than that, and full leather interior, heated front seats, heated rear seats, it has navigation that still works, four-zone automatic climate control so all the passengers get to choose how hot or cold they want to be. It has a very good radio, although it doesn't have an aux cord, which is a little bit of a hard thing, and it doesn't have Bluetooth because it's too old, so you have to do this little FM receiver, which was a disaster. It just doesn't work, basically it's this little dongle you plug into your phone that makes an FM signal that your car will pick up, but If you're anywhere near a big city, it just doesn't pick it up. But on the highway, super soft, super smooth. Big V8, 4.2 liters, 310 horsepower, will cruise you up any mountain here in the Rockies at 70, 75.
2: But thirsty, right?
3: Very thirsty, yes. So these are over 5,000 pounds. And uh, we did put a slightly larger set of tires on it than stock. I think I averaged about 14 or 15 over the course of the trip. Oh ouch. Yeah, ouch. very heavy, very heavy and very thirsty. Um, but man, what a good highway cruiser, I just it's uh, it'll sit at 70 miles an hour, you know 2,400 rpm cruising along all day. really quiet too. That's one of the reasons it's so heavy. It's just jam full of sound. Detonating. And they're
2: bargaining right now. You can get them for like... Uh Five to seven thousand. Well there's a reason for that. Because you're gonna be upside down in it almost immediately. Yeah,
3: so they, they really went crazy with some of the technology in, in the Turek. So it had like uh, keyless entry where you can just leave the key in your pocket and grab the door handle. That's stuff that even in 2021 is optional on a lot of cars. It has uh, this feature where it'll turn on the recirc for the air conditioning automatically if it senses um, particulates in the air. No, It'll so,
2: turn on the recirc if you wash your wipers. Right? That'll do you, that too, yeah. If yeah. you
3: squirt your windshield wipers, it'll go to recirc so you don't have to smell no, Well, the, 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 the windshield wiper fluid. <laughs> right. A lot of really interesting ideas. And it has a navigation system. I think it's a 7 or an 8 inch screen. It still works even today. Although we did find it's one of, I think it's a CD based navigation system. Right. And uh, there's some highways and some, especially here in Colorado, toll roads that are more recent. And when you're on the toll road, it thinks you're driving through a field because they weren't mapped in 04. So the navigation still works. It still knows where you are in the world. It just doesn't know the current road structure.
2: Yeah, so we bought ours for like just under 5,000. Now it has 130,000 miles on it. That's the one we've kept. And you did take it off-road. You took it up and over Harrah Pass in Moab, right?
3: Yeah, so I did a couple different things. Yeah. Uh, we got there. We went to Arches National Park, which yeah. was a disaster, by the way, in early May, late April. Too many people. Just so many people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just no park Parking, and they don't stop people from coming into the park. I'm like, guys, there's nowhere for anyone it is to park. A big park but there's not no of big. Park not a Not
2: that big. Not for park.
3: that. Yeah, not, not, not as you know, big as you'd, you'd d- expect.
2: If you go to Moab, everybody goes to Arches. There's so many more beautiful places with no people. Like you can go to uh, Dead Horse. State Park. You can go to Island in the Sky, Canyonlands, Canyonlands, and everybody goes to Arches, and it's just such a cliche. There's so much more to do there. But anyway, keep going to Arches; it'll keep the other places empty and
3: available for the people in the know. Arches, Arches is phenomenal, though. They have some incredible hikes. But there are arches everywhere. There are a lot of arches, but people have found the good arches, and that's why they made the park around it. So I do think it's worth a stop. But yeah, my, my favorite are the Golden Arches.
2: They have a good breakfast. Yeah, the Golden Arches. <laughs> it's right downtown.
3: Oh, well, we went to the Wendy's, and there was seriously 25 minutes to get a burger. I don't know what the heck happened at Wendy's in Moab on that day. <laughs> All right, so you took it up and over Hurrah Pass, and but things started to go wrong. Right. So Hurrah Pass is this beautiful, scenic, basically a dirt road. It's got some rocks and some ledges in it. Um, but a really nice path that takes you to the scenic overlook. And it's probably, I don't know, to the top is 15 miles from town, but it's pretty, you're pretty in the middle of nowhere. There's no service and you're in a slot canyon for a while. And it's nice, it's really nice. But we get to the top of the pass, um, and it's fun because there's always side by sides and guys and Jeeps who feel hardcore and they're like, oh, who brought this mommy mobile up here? Uh, and then coming down Hurrah Pass, we jump in the car, started up, and I noticed that the voltmeter meter had gone to zero. That's so it, always terrifying. Yeah, especially in the Volkswagen because this thing, you Uses more power than the entire state of texas so we had the first gen ml that we were driving back from atlanta when
2: we bought it and that same thing happened to us and we managed to go about 20 minutes before all hell broke loose and at two in the morning the car died on the side of the highway about 20 miles outside of dia uh, which is not a place you want to be at two in the morning in the country on a busy highway with no electricity Right, Um, It's a a bad thing when your alternator goes.
3: Yeah, especially if you were out in the Especially the Volkswagen one,
2: because the Volkswagen one is water-cooled, and it's a very expensive job to replace. This is why you do not necessarily want a Touareg, because
3: when simple things break, they're very expensive to replace. Anyway, so I'm out. I took it so nice and slow up this dirt path to get to the top, because I'm being careful, want to preserve the vehicle, and with my friends, didn't want it to break. But the second I saw that voltmeter go to 8 volts, I just planted the throttle and we flew down this threaded dirt path there was not a lot of mechanical sympathy because i thought like well i want to try to at least get into cell range if this thing craps out so I yes so so what happens
2: if the alternator goes you only have the juice that's in the battery and with modern cars which the turag is it uses a lot of power and so weird things start to first. it's crazy it's kind of fun right like all all of a sudden like weird trouble lights come on right because the the power is diminishing and at some point it diminishes to such an extent that there's not enough for the ignition and the thing dies and you're not going anywhere
3: yeah, exactly. So I was flying. I mean, I was on this, this, this gravel road. We were skidding out in yeah. the turns and I was, it was a lot of fun, but I was really stressed. Um, <laughs> what were your friends saying? They they were just alarmed, I think. Okay, yeah. They didn't know what to think. And we had, uh, it was like 91 degrees and we had the AC off and the radio off and everything off right. to like try to keep the, the battery. Keep the, keep the battery charged So I finally make it down, back into town. The thing's still running. There's no trouble lights. It's working fine. Uh, Vault meter's still at eight volts. And then when I go to turn onto the main road, I put on my left turn signal and there's no click and there's no light. I'm like, Ooh, well, maybe that's the first of, of Signs like the, of the power issue. Here. So I sprint it back to the hotel, shut it off. My friends get out, go to the hotel, whatever. I get back in. I wanted to see if there was enough power to crank over the battery. And it started like normal. It went and it started right up. By the, by the way, that uh, Tourag, that first
2: gen, because it was kind of Volkswagen's moonshot, is very uh, heavily electrified. So everything is electric. And just to change the battery, I think you need a mechanic because it's under the passenger front seat. So you have to remove the entire
3: seat to get at the battery, which is crazy. So it's under the driver's seat. I thought it was under the passenger. I think it's under the driver's seat. I've seen – you can do it yourself. It, but basically the whole, there's a mechanism where the whole front seat has to be pivoted forward, and then there's just enough room to, to remove what's basically a tank battery. It's basically a $200 job just to replace a battery. Well, the battery itself, I think, is like 250, 250 bucks. It's yeah. a special battery. And yeah. the diesel Touaregs actually had twin batteries. They had dual batteries. The the V10s. Um, The V10s. Uh, Anyways, so... anything electronic
2: in in a Touareg is like, oh my god.
3: (laughs) So I get to the hotel, and I crank it over, and it starts first try, and it seems normal. Which is weird, because if the battery had actually... If the alternator had actually gone, you would not be able to start it. So I let it sit for a couple of minutes, turned it off, let it sit, started it back up, and the the voltmeter is back at 14 volts, and the turn signals turned back on. Uh, I did a little digging onto the forums, and I guess that's kind of like the first sign that it's not a charging issue. It's an issue with the actual instrument cluster starts to fail. And and when it starts to fail, random gauges just stop working. And that just happened to be one of the random gauges that stopped working. So so it was an instrument cluster, not a, thank God. And the other thing that could happen is on the way up on some of the rocks, maybe I dislodged one of the little pins, and that killed it as well. Um, But I think it's probably starting to fail. So that was was the first issue. Uh, And then that afternoon, we went and did fins and things which we've done, and there was a whole group of Jeepers and they were laughing at my Touregg, and then they they, they weren't laughing when they saw what it could do. It was very entertaining. It was like a group of Southern guys who were like, what you doing with your mom's car up here, kid? And then I take it up this big rock, and they're like, whoa. Um, When we came down off of that, I got a check engine light. Uh, didn't, the car did amazing off-road. It's one I mean, of the best off-road vehicles you can buy. I mean, it's jacked up with the big tires, 13 inches of ground clearance, when you center you say jacked locker. up, it's
2: air suspension. Air so. suspension, yeah. You yeah. push a button.
3: 13 inches of ground clearance, center locker, rear locker. It's incredible off-road. I had the tires aired down. Check engine light. Ran to the store, bought a code reader, and it was like a lean occurrence on cylinder bank one, um, which could be something related to like a mass airflow sensor. It could be a vacuum link. Cleared the code. Didn't come back. So uh, that was uh, the most eventful parts of my trip. But yeah, and then the third day we took it to the dunes. Yeah, you went in the sand. There's a video up there. Yeah, TfL Off-Road, we went in the sand. Um, First time in the sand in the Volkswagen, and it killed it. It was amazing. Uh, Sand, it turns out, is all about power. You really want a lot of horsepower in the sand.
2: A lot of wheel speed. You want, to, you want to, like, skim on top of it. You don't want to sink into it.
3: Well, 5,000 pounds is typically going to be hard yeah, to skim the, on top of. But, yes. yeah, with the tires are down, it does a pretty good job. And uh, high RPM stuff, Yeah. Um, that one made me a little uncomfortable because the temperature always sits at 250, and now it went up to, like, 280 because you okay. are at 5,000 RPM for 50 right. minutes straight. Yeah. yeah, just to keep the wheel speed. And that stupid transmission yeah. upshifts. Every nine seconds, if you if you don't put it in the manual mode. Okay, so you got to keep it in manual. So it's always like, rrr, 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 and then it won't downshift again. Right. So stick it in the manual mode, and it'll hold it to redline. But yeah, it was super fun, super super great trip. Then we uh, had this filthy Touareg, threw all of our stuff back in, drove it home the the six and a half hours, and I felt really refreshed. Honestly, it was an amazing. Even by modern standards, it's a very comfortable, refined road tripper. You know, this weekend uh, we were looking uh, through Craigslist. Uh,
2: And uh, actually, we should talk about that before we get to the Defender. Two things I want to talk about before we do that. Uh, One of them is super important. It's kind of new and used car prices. But we were looking at Craigslist, and I found uh, a Volkswagen Tourag that somebody was selling the same color as ours, but it was a 3-liter diesel, right? So not the first-gen, but the second-gen, but it had the same body style as ours. And you said that there's a period there where Volkswagen basically updated the powertrain but kept the same body style. Uh, as ours, right? Well, so what they
3: did is yep. in 2007... Because, because the problem is,
2: if you go to the full second generation, you lose the low range, at which point it becomes you know a highway car.
3: Right, so the way it works is, is you call them, there's like internal codes T1, T2, and T3. So we have a T1 in 2004, right? and those were 2004 through 2007. Yep. Um, and then in 2008, they updated the style. Yep. So they gave it more Passat-like headlights, um, gave it a little bit better tech. But it's the same car, so it still has a low range and it's still based on the first-gen Cayenne. Porsche did the same thing. Right. So remember, they had the really ugly Cayenne. Yeah, I know. And, they made, and then they made it slightly less ugly yeah. before they they completely redid it. Right. So then in, in 2011, they because went the to the... Porsche
2: Cayenne and the Touareg same or sister thing. car Yeah, yeah. same, they yeah.
3: share a platform. In 2007 or 2011, they went to the T3 Touareg, which was all new. They lost the low range and they made it much, so, much so, more reliable. So
2: maybe if you want that T2 one, you still get all of the goodies, right? You still get the low range. Right. And you, and you can get still get the lockers. And you get the air. Suspension and you can get the six cylinder diesel, which you know is a diesel gate one, but a lot of them have been now uh, retrofitted by Volkswagen to actually be you know legal.
3: And it's uh, you really you really gotta do your research because the or, T- you re- or you really want the one that hasn't been retrofitted, <laughs> yeah, really <laughs> seriously. The, the <laughs> T1 Touareg had the V10 diesel, do you right, remember that, right? Yeah, and I
2: think that was like those are like 10k to 15k. People really want those. The problem is they're crazy expensive to maintain.
3: And the way that worked is it was like 04 05, mm-hmm. and then guess what happened. They got in trouble with emissions, right. even in 04, 05. Like, uh, yeah. So they killed off the V10 for a few years. And they brought it back for one more year, I think, in 08. Yep. But in the T2 Touregg, they also had a 3-liter TDI V6. The which V10 was a disaster. Which was the diesel gateway. The, the V10 TDI was amazing. It was impressive, but right. it has had a lot of reliability issues. Like, it, it just it needs turbos on a regular basis. And anything is an engine out job on a V10 Touregg. Um, but the V6 TDI was much better. In terms of reliability, lower power, but much better in terms of reliability. And then those came in the T3s, remember, like 2012, we reviewed one on the the next gen. Um, And those were definitely dieselgate. That was like uh, peak dieselgates, because Porsche also had them as well. Anyway,
2: the nice thing about those, uh, you know, first gen 3-liter diesels is they've got tons of torque, which is good for off-roading. And they're not as crazy complicated as... Uh, the V10, and they still have the low range and all the off-road goodies, which by the T3, Volkswagen lost, right? It just became more of a highway cruiser and less of an off-roader. Yeah,
3: so like, look for like an 09 TDI yeah. would be like a good one. Right, those, so those ones are rare, though, with the air suspension. So the before lockers. we
2: talk about new and used car prices, because I think this is also important, let's talk about TFL bids. Uh, we are selling, we just did a series uh, to Hallenbach, No Payment Needed, uh, where we are uh, selling some uh, really... Um, cool old pickup trucks we went and bought three cheap trucks under ten thousand. then we took them to the mechanic we had them fix everything then we upgraded them with our friends from realtruck.com uh they helped us uh, you know make them more off-road worthy so we could take them to moab and now we just aired that first episode over at tfl truck on the weekend and now we're selling the chevy right now last time i checked uh, we're selling it today it's on uh, tfl bids the, the may
3: 10th it's going to be
2: sold today
3: yeah that's today well, what if they're listening to the podcast oh, yeah, tomorrow? Right. Anyway, yeah,
2: if you're listening to it tomorrow, it's probably sold. Uh, right now, I think it's at forty-six hundred, uh, uh, and uh, you know, I think the reserve is five. But we're going to sell it. We just want to get it out of here so we can get some other things. Uh, but the reason I bring that up is we're also selling our twenty twenty um, Ford Raptor with only six thousand miles. Uh, so if you want a really good Ford Raptor. Uh, that has every option uh, that's on there. And more importantly, we actually now also have a TRX, which are you know super hard to find. So there's both the Ford Raptor and a TRX on TFL bids that's selling the week of the 10th through the 17th. So if you're listening to it this week, if you want yourself a TRX or a Raptor that we've owned, uh, that we've only put 6,000 miles on, uh, that you know that is uh, pristine uh, under factory warranty, they're both brand new, head on over there, uh, check it out. There's also an FJ. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, cruiser, so if you want an FJ, those are hard to find. That's up there now. So the site is actually starting to take off. We Over the last three weeks, we've sold a bunch of Jeeps. We specialize in doing uh, trucks and off-roaders. Uh, it's really starting to actually you know get some life to it, so uh, check it out. Um, but the reason I, I bring that up is because I wanted to talk about what's happening with new and used cars, um, and it's kind of crazy right now. We've had the perfect storm, and I hate that analogy because it's way overused. But basically what's happened is... Uh, You've had the pandemic, then you had a fire at one of the manufacturers that produces the chips that do things like run the computers in cars and trucks. Uh, And then you had um, all of a sudden, everybody not buying new things and the economy coming back and people wanting new things. And all that has led to the fact that uh, manufacturers just don't have enough inventory. Uh, And so it's really hard right now uh, to get new cars and trucks at anything resembling a discount. It's also hard to get anything that's, you know, a base model because, Uh, The manufacturers have figured out that it's much more profitable to take the chips that they have and put it in the high-end models, right? Right. Uh, So, you know, if you're looking at a truck, you're looking, you're not looking at XL, XLTs, you're looking at, you know, if you're a Ford buyer, you're looking at the um, King Ranch version or the Platinums. Uh, And uh, last quarter, because of this, even though the manufacturers sold less vehicles, I think, they actually made incredible profits Because they figured out that, well, with the ship shortage, they can sell and not rebate and not discount any of their vehicles. So uh, I guess that's good for the manufacturers. I don't think it's good for the consumers because it means that new cars and trucks are hard to find. Uh, And because uh, of that situation, the used vehicles have also come way up, way up. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, Like 25, the studies I've read, it's anywhere from 25 to 30% in the last several months for used vehicles. It's very... Good time to sell a used car, but a very bad time to buy one. Yeah. So if you want to sell, this is the time to do it. If you want to buy a new one, you're gonna have to, you know, probably spend full sticker, no more. You know, I was I was talking to a sales manager at a Mazda store about this. I asked him. I said, you know, what's your inventory? And he said, usually they have between 100 and 150 cars on the lot, Mm -hmm. uh, and now they have uh, 50. Oh my gosh! And, he, and and I said, well, what happens if somebody comes in and they want, let's say, let's say, a Mazda, you know, CX five, and they you want to go bargain? He said, we just let them walk. Ah! He said, it's either full sticker or even like five to ten percent above sticker, or you can, you know, we're not. He, he wasn't like we're not mean about it, but we're like we're not selling it to you at, at anything, you know, under. Uh, Sticker, So it is full sticker or, you know, go someplace else and good luck finding it. That's crazy. It's crazy, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't see the situation changing in the next... I also talked to another um, manager at another store, uh, and he felt that the situation might rectify itself in the next quarter to two quarters. Uh, but the question in my mind, and I think all of our minds, is now that the manufacturers have figured out that they don't need to swap, swamp the market. swap Swamp? Swamp. Yeah, the market with... Um, an extensive and inexhaustible list of cars and trucks uh, that they can make more money by creating scarcity. Is that the new model
3: going forward in America? Because that's the way it is in Europe in a lot of places. Well, I mean, it's different though because in a lot of ways the car manufacturer's customer is the dealer. Right, So wouldn't they want to sell as many to the dealer as possible? Yeah, but the dealer also makes more money. Both
2: dealers and manufacturers are making more money because they're why not discounting them.
3: Doesn't doesn't the, the manufacturer sell the car to a dealer at a fixed price? I mean, I don't think that the, the markup applies on the manufacturer. Right, but a lot, a lot
2: of the rebates and discounts that are out there are through the manufacturer. So like loyalty cash, all that stuff comes from the manufacturer, not from the dealer. Gotcha. So dealers don't have to discount their cars and manufacturers don't have to rebate or apply incentives. Uh, that just means there's a lot more money on the table for both the dealer and for the manufacturer.
3: I would imagine that, That I hope it's not a sustainable thing. I hope that we start to see more inventory. Well, well, and, well the reason
2: you saw so much more inventory and so much more competitiveness is because, uh, you know, car manufacturers and dealers were all about conquests, right? So they were like, hey, you have, uh, I don't know, pick the vehicle of your choice, Come on over here and get the you know Jeep instead, uh, and that's a conquest buy if you're if you're going from a Ford to a Jeep, right? Right. And so they were all like trying to conquest each other, which created this uh, like you know loop internal loop where you know everybody's trying to pull customers away from everybody else and the best way to do that is to lower prices and to offer discount and rebates and yada 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 but now they're figuring out with scarcity that they don't have to do that they don't care because people have to come to them so if, if you know if you need a new vehicle and there's only a few cars on the lot it's no longer like hey you know there's 14 15 different cars in the mid-size crossover segment it's not about which one i want it's about which one i can get hmm So we'll see. I I hope not. I mean, you know, America had, I think, some of the most highly optioned and some of the least expensive cars in the world, uh, and maybe that's going to change. All right. Enough of uh, kind of what's happening in the uh, new and used car market. So tell me about uh, the Defender trip. Now, we've had a long and interesting history with the Defender. I don't want to go into it, uh, but we have learned some
3: lessons, and we're going to give you those because you drove it how many miles, Tommy? Uh, It was 1,300 and No, 1,366 over four days. Or about 2,000 kilometers for all your Europeans out there. That's a lot of miles. Is that how many kilometers it is? Um, Yeah, you can do the math. I am not that fast in my head. Multiply 1,300 uh, by 1.6. 2,198
2: kilometers. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, we we started out with the four-cylinder. And by the way... um, you know, our four-cylinder died after 168 miles. I would not recommend that in Defender. Let's say that you have the perfect four-cylinder. It's a little four-cylinder turbo, right, that puts out 300 horsepower. It's just a big three-row vehicle that tows over almost 8,000 pounds. I just think that that little four-cylinder is is not uh, powerful enough, even if it doesn't break, right? Let's say it's perfect, and it's, I still think uh, we, we ended up with the uh, straight six, much better engine, mild hybrid, uh, 400 horsepower, and it feels like you know
3: um it this vehicle needs it. Of course, now there's a new V8 coming. I think I think the I think the four cylinder has plenty of power. I, that, I don't think That is not so. the issue with the four cylinder. 300 horsepower, Dad. It's like yeah, you it's know, a three, big, it's a big, heavy a suburban vehicle. in 1989 had like 140.
2: Well, hold on. All right, let me ask you this then. I, yeah. I get that we're, we're not we're not in 1940.
3: Well, 1989, they still had the same speed how, limits, how, What's, or the, what's the speed
2: limit up there where you were at in South Dakota?
3: It's like 80 in, in a lot of places. And how
2: how did the, how was it doing at 80?
3: It's fine. Yeah, it had how, plenty of power. But if you wanted to
2: go a little bit quicker,
3: there's probably Wait, not, then you'd be breaking the law. But if you wanted to, there's probably not a
2: lot of uh, power left after you're you know driving no, this there, big monster. There was a lot of power
3: left. I mean, I was just you hmm. could thing is you get so greedy now in 2021 we expect i mean cars have gotten so quick look here as long as they'll do the speed limit or a little over for passing how quick do you need to go it's not about quickness it's about
2: like ease and about reliability so
3: i'd reliability is another story i I agree i'd
2: rather have a big engine that is you know comfortable in the car than a little engine that is squeezed to within a millimeter of its you know tolerance so that it can put out 300 horsepower so that it can power
3: a very heavy Big vehicle. You see what I'm saying? Well, you, you exactly nailed the issue. The issue with the four-cylinder is not the 300. 300 horsepower is a ton of power. The issue is the fact that it's a little itty-bitty. I think it's a two-liter that's being squeezed within an inch of its life to make 300 horsepower through turbocharging and, and crazy new tech. Um, so that's the issue. But the, the the power is not the issue with the four-cylinder. It's the fact that I think longevity-wise, it's a really high-strung little engine in a big, lumpy SUV. So I think that's why I would get the 6. The, the, the six power— is a hybrid electric supercharge. Why, no. Oh, that's also crazy complicated. But it's still cool. It's a very good engine, yeah. So the 3-liter is probably one of the best engines I think you can buy in any new SUV. So let's, let's take a step back.
2: So okay. The, so, you know, JLR, Jaguar, Land Rover, right? And mm-hmm. the old straight six, actually the old V6, right, that they had in the Jaguar and the Land Rover was actually a V8 where they just didn't use the last two cylinders.
3: Right. So and they had, like, the 5-liter V8, and then they, they plopped out two of the cylinders for... A three liter V six, and that was supercharged. Was the old yeah? And when V6. I say they
2: didn't use it, I don't mean they like like shortened the block. I mean they left it as a V eight. Yeah, V8, they, they left it as a V eight And V8 they, they V8 put block, balancing yeah. shafts in the in the last two cylinders, so it was still the weight and size of a V eight, uh, except that the last two cylinders weren't actually firing. So now they redesigned it. They did a straight six, right? Um, And it's a much better engine. It's a much smoother engine. Uh, And how was it, you know, on
3: on those long highway and non-highway rides? It was very good. Yeah? Very good road tripper. So um, basically, the trip was we left Boulder, Colorado here on Thursday. And then we drove up through uh, Wyoming on the eastern side of Wyoming and then crossed into South Dakota. Um, We went to Custer State Park. We saw Sylvan Lake and uh, the the Needles Drive, which is incredible. And then we went to Mount Rushmore. We did some off-roading. Smaller than
2: than you think it is, isn't it? Smaller than you think it is, yeah, but beautiful.
3: We went off-roading in the Black Hills. Then we zipped over east into South Dakota for the Badlands National Park. And then we went back west again to check out the caves. There's a, a, a big national uh, um, park out there as well, the Wind Caves. Okay. And then we went up northeast into uh, Wyoming. And is there a video coming? There, there is. Yeah, we went to Sturgis. Oh, nice. Uh, went northeast into uh, the Wyoming state border to visit Devil's Tower. So, but it's cool out there. I've never been out there. And it's it's very unusual to the road trips I've been where you like go on an interstate and you're just on an interstate for hours and hours. they a dead straight. And then you exit to, to get lunch and you're on the interstate for dead hours. When you go into that part of the country, it's a lot of two lane roads with fast speed limits. Yep. Or what I found is if you take the, the slower recommended route in Google Maps, and a lot of dirt roads, So I probably spent like 80 miles just cruising around on dirt roads in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing for miles and miles and miles. Just beautiful scenic rolling hills and trees. And it was one of the most beautiful places I've been. Let's
2: talk about the vehicle. So um,
3: good power. Excellent power, yeah. So on the two-lane roads, you do encounter a lot of trucks yeah. or camper. Good passing power. Yeah, so you can pass pretty much anything, whatever you'd like. A fuel economy is good. I Brilliant. was impressed with the fuel economy. How much? This, this thing is kind of a, 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 a whale. It's yeah. a huge vehicle. It's a three-row three SUV. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like big. it's like a Land Cruiser. Yeah, yeah. it's like a Land Cruiser. Uh, 2021. Wow, that's really good. That but is good. there's a caveat. Okay, what's that? Premium fuel. Oh, it's recommended uh, if, or like... Um, it's like recommended the TRX, It's 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 you have to do it Yeah it's recommended But I wouldn't I wouldn't put anything else in there <laughs> Well and you're going to have that Yeah I agree You've it's, got a turbocharged kind of Supercharged hybrid, hybrid. Yeah, yeah run the fuel They recommend in there Yeah um, So gas prices I was hitting like $3.50 How much to fill up Sixty-some from a quarter tank and Which you don't for
2: Europeans would be cheap but for, for Americans. Americans. It's a lot
3: and I found out out there You really don't want to go much below a quarter because it can be right can, miles, big miles distances between gas stations. How, how about like the interior seating? Uh, steering braking. How was how all yes. that? Um, so, so air suspension is standard on the 110s here in the States. Yeah, the, the four doors right a very comfortable ride extremely plush a little bit too plush above 80. <laughs> oh, it gets a little floaty? It gets a little too floaty. I, I, I'm really surprised so that's that they... So it's
2: like at above 130k.
3: I'm really surprised that they don't, like, bring it on down and, yeah. like, firm up the spring. You think,
2: yeah, like, who, what car does that? There's a bunch of cars with air suspension that, that kind of squat down. Pretty
3: much everything does that. And this one doesn't do it? Well, maybe it does, but it needs to do it more. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so, like, the Tourag, you can dial in sport mode on the and like it goes, air struts, yeah. and then it, like, firms that, them up.
2: The sound is me, you know, emptying out the air suspension and, and having the car. I just thought you should know if you're
3: listening to this. Okay, so uh, above 80, a <laughs> little floaty, and it gets pretty wallowy. So if you're passing in a turn uh, at, like, 75, 80, the whole thing, I go, Was well, this on on-road mode? Because there's different modes. Yeah, but there's there's no sport mode. Okay. So you got on-road and eco. All well, right. you're not going to put rock crawl mode at 85 miles an no, hour. No, you're not. Um, so that's one of the downsides with the air suspension. The how about, upside how about is wind noise? very good. The upside with the air suspension unless is unless you
2: get the unless you sorry, Dad, you're, you're killing I know, me. Here. I know, I know, I know, but it's important. Unless you get the snorkel, I've heard the
3: snorkel. Well, makes we'll a talk lot of about, noise. but that's a whole other subject. Right, we'll talk about snorkel. that in a second. All right, All right go for it. You were saying about the suspension. Yes. So very good on road, and then when you take it off road, which I did, you can just jack it up and you can tackle rocks, but uh, Land Rover uses a dual bag system where they have one bag for height and one bag for kind of the the damping. I don't know if that works very well. It's supposed to mean that in the off-road settings, it's still nice and soft and compliant. I don't find that to be the case. I find it to be pretty hard in the high off-road settings. So So, our,
2: our experience has been that like the best vehicle we ever had, look, I don't care about capability as much as I care about comfort off-road, right? So I suppose I'd love like a Star Wars land skimmer where you're actually floating. But anyway, the most compliant, most comfortable vehicle we ever had was that LR3. Uh, But that may have been because the suspension was shot.
3: It could have been. I don't know. Although I I don't suspect... That was all the story, because I, I recall the LR4, which is a similar system, had a very, very soft ride.
2: All right, so so you would jack this thing up and lower it when you got back on the dirt road, and when you got into some rocks, you'd jack it up and lower it. What ended up happening when you did that?
3: We end up overheating the um, the air suspension system. So I, I don't know if it's the compressor or if it's the airlines, but something gets too hot, and it shows you a warning. It says, no, you can't keep doing this you can continue to drive with caution. So then at that point, you're like, well, I might as well just leave it in the high height because I don't know if I will need it later on and be in the the standard height. So I'll stick it in high and then it's really hard. And we did this off-road trail. It was probably 26 miles round trip. It was supposed to be 13 miles of just bumps and rocks and pretty miserableness. And then we get to the end and there's a locked gate, which we didn't know about. So then we had to turn around and go back the other way. So going back to what you said, the quietness is very good. it's got one of the best, most comfortable um, cabins for long-distance cruising. And really, really quiet. The only issue with the cabin is the infotainment screen is not very good. No, the infotainment screen is too small. And how about the
2: charging screen, for the charger for your phone? It kind of we- rests in this weird position. The phone is not not horizontal, not vertical, it's horizontal. So it's kind of the long way between the driver and passenger. And then it sticks underneath basically half of the middle of the armrest. So you can look down, kind of see it, that it's being charged right remotely. Yep. But you can't see the whole phone. Right. Which is bad if you're trying to use it to navigate.
3: And what we did is my friend had her phone hooked up for music and entertainment. And yeah. then my phone was the one we were using for navigation. Okay. Um, but she was going through Apple CarPlay. We didn't want to necessarily use her nav because it would keep interrupting or whatever. So we used the, the nav on my phone. But then I needed to keep it charged, so I use a wireless charger. But it's underneath the armrest, so you yeah. can't easily access it and see what the route is yeah. uh, when you're stopping to navigate, which is a, a bad thing. How about the how about the uh, Land Rover's navigation? Uh, it didn't work. It
2: didn't work. It it, it's it was not what, useless. Like, like there's like no roads that are mapped. In, no, they're Dakota's. all mapped.
3: But the like the search function, I plugged in my cabin address exactly to the yeah. cabin we we're staying at. It said it didn't exist at all. Google and Apple both found it within the first five seconds of the search. I plugged in like wind caves. SD, and it tried to take me to some place in Maryland
2: or something. Yeah, that's why I don't get about, like, factory navigation systems. I mean, the upside is they're always powered, so you're not,
3: like, draining your phone battery. But the downside is they suck. They're just not good. Yeah. So the infotainment screen is not very good. The radio is incredible. Okay. Very good radio. And the best part is the seating position. So Landover's known for something called the command seating position. Where you
2: sit kind of on top of the vehicle instead of in it.
3: Yeah, you can. Re- the seats are typically set very high in a Landover. Now, the Defender, the default seating position is pretty low. But it's got so much headroom, you can actually, this is the only vehicle I'll jack the seat up in, raise it up, so you can sit up high and, and see, see and the world. To be fair,
2: ours doesn't, ours doesn't have the big panoramic sunroof, which gives not. you probably an inch, of, inch more
3: headroom, which is why we wanted it. Right. But it does have the little alpine lights. Uh, well, we we got it. It's a long story why we didn't get the sunroof, because that was what it was available. But, yeah, right. yeah, but you can jack it up and see the whole world. The seats are good only if you get the optional lumbar support, which is stupid. Yeah, you and
2: I both have a bad back. Right. And, and when we bought that, this is the big, this is actually, if you want to know the secret, I'll give you the secret, Tommy. The reason that I did not want to get another base defender, so the original one we got was like everything you need, nothing you don't. So it had steel wheels, and we'll talk about that in a second, because the wheels are also important. Uh, and it had the only option it had was a lockable rear diff and the off road package. And unbeknownst to me, when we ordered it, it had manual seats with no lumbar support, which made the thing almost un- I have a really bad back, and without lumbar support, I can't. I just can't do it. You can get the base one with lumbar, though.
3: It's an option. You have to pay oh, extra for it, but we, but we did
2: not. Yeah, which is crazy. Come on, manufacturers. Really? Like, there's some things that are just like, come on, lumbar support. And Porsche did the same thing, speaking of, you know. No, same thing. The base 911 does not have lumbar support. Come on, guys. Whoever is counting beans at these companies, I would take them in the back and I would give them a piece of my mind, or better yet, I would whip them with spaghetti for, you know, not putting lumbar support in a $50,000 car, or in the case of actually 54000 in the case of a Land Rover, or get this $99,000 in the, in the case of Porsche. If I'm shaming you, Porsche, I'll stop my rant in a second. More power to me because I'm sorry, at $99,000, a Porsche without lumbar support or a Land Rover without lumbar support is just effing silly. And you know, I know people out there are thinking, well, you know, if you're buying a Porsche, if you're buying a Land Rover, then you should expect them to upcharge you on all these conveniences. But lumbar support is not a convenience. It is a necessary and important part of a vehicle. It is, in fact, so important that I would not buy a Land Rover without it. End of story. Same thing with a Porsche.
3: Yeah, but a lot of people, I think, don't care. Honestly, I think a lot of people hate lumbar support in the first place. Um, most people think like what's this thing poking me in the back? So we may be kind of unique in that opinion uh,
2: You know, that's fine when you're 22 But I, I think the people who are buying these are more my age and by the time you've been my age you you know Like me I've broken my collarbone I've taken a bunch of tumbles doing a bunch of stupid stuff or doing a bunch of like sporty stuff And so my back, you know in my case, I you know I rolled an m3 into a tree which completely hosed up my back uh, and so at, at this point it becomes a necessity uh, And yeah, so fine if you're 18 18 or 15 or 12 and your back is fine, who gives a rat's ass about lumbar support, but when you've got enough money to
3: buy 911, you're going to care about it. Oh, the crack is terrible, by the way, in the Defender. The crack? The crack. What crack? The space between oh, the seat... Oh, where that, that, the stuff... The, the void. The little, you
2: know, little void where like your phone and your french fries fall. The
3: the, <laughs> the, the the void between the seat and the center armrest. Yeah. Remember the drop stop was invented for it. Yeah. So the center armrest yeah. on the Land Rover is tapered at the edges. and. Everything what rolls you, what did into you the drop crack. In there? What, what everything, literally everything. How many French
2: fries am I going to find? Probably
3: in Probably nine hundred dollars <laughs> worth of quarters in that in that crack right now. I probably <laughs> dropped my phone in that crack like a yeah, hundred times. Apparently, dollars. there's a
2: ketchup shortage. Ketchup package shortage right now. Yeah, so. they're all in the they're Land Rover. That's where they all went it's
3: into that crack.
2: How about the material? How's the material? It's kind of this kind of funky, like almost neoprene like. How does that to sit on for in, so, hours on it
3: So the interior is beautiful. Yeah. Really a nice design. I love the dashboard design with the the kind of the flow through center console. Yep. Um, did you have you seen the seat in that Land Rover? No, the driver's seat. It is gross. This like clothy neoprene material. Yeah. It does an amazing job of capturing all the bits of grime and dirt dog and, and dog and fur that's on the back yeah, of your Ours seat. is like a camel color. I actually haven't like spent time to look at it and the camel does a good job of kind of hiding it yeah. but I don't know how we're going to clean it. I mean it's going to have to be steam clean or something. Like that bolster <laughs> yeah. like it's just blue. It's turning like black and blue. Like from your the, jeans, right? Yeah, I mean it looks good and if you go to an auto show yeah. check out the bolster seating on this kind of funky clothy yeah. neoprene material. It does not seem to wear so, very well. So
2: maybe to be fair okay like t- our Tesla Model Y is like white white
3: vegan leather But and that's basically rubber. That's like a right? it's like a like and you can you, just wipe t- it off. And you take some Windex to that and it just wipes right off. But part of the bolster's cloth and I don't think that's Ma- going to wipe off. Maybe with
2: the defender it'll do the same. With the cloth, you think you can wipe I, I, dirt I out of cloth? Know. Well, you get to figure it out cuz you got to clean it up. I know, I got to clean it All up. Right, and let's talk about the wheels so uh, the first one we had we had the Steelys, right? Which are 18s, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. What are these? 20s. Yeah, and almost too big, right, for like like especially when you're on that kind of uh, washboardy dirt
3: road for hours on end. Yeah, I mean, so we have the, for some reason, ours is a it's a weird spec. It has the off-road tires on it. Which you said weren't actually very good. Well, I think they're like a Wrangler, rugged terrain kind of tire. They're like,
2: they're like halfway to a proper all-terrain.
3: They're pretty good off-road, actually. Right. And they're really quiet on the road. Right. They're not good in the rain. We okay. hit some pretty torrential rain in Wyoming. Yeah. And they're not very good on gravel. So they're good on rocks and kind of like a trail. Yeah. But on gravel, they're super loose. They, they don't do a very good job biting into the gravel. The big issue I found is I went through a little bit of mud on our off-road trail. There's like, this little hill you had to climb up, this little dip. And it happened to have, like, four inches of water mud in it, which is nothing. Um, And I I went through it. The wheels got kind of coated on the outside, and it looked really cool and rugged. We were driving to Wall, South Dakota, on the interstate, no problem. Get into Wall, pull off the highway, start cruising down these little back roads, maybe 15, 20, and it sounds like the scene from... Psycho. Psycho. Yeah. That, that like... Reek, 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 reek. It was the worst noise. I mean, people in this little town were coming out of our houses to figure out what happened. Yeah, I'm looking at this like Pentastar kind of
2: design in the wheel. It's maybe, a five-spoke wheel. Maybe those holes are too big and too much like dirt and rocks get into the brake caliper. And
3: somehow, yeah, some kind of mud had to work its way into the brake caliper. And it was the most horrific noise I'd ever heard. I mean, I could, I felt bad driving it even, even to the little car wash. It was that loud. So I get to the car wash and I'm like squirting my, my little butt off trying to get this mud out. And I did get it out, but I noticed that the wheels do a very good job of letting mud in and caking the inside of the wheel in the mud. So I think an 18, you know, would have been better because you got more sidewall. You're further away from the actual mud itself. And the holes are smaller; they don't let as much debris in. So I've been listening to a lot of like uh, European podcasts to kind of figure out what they
2: what their take on it is. Mm-hmm. One of them I listen to is a guy seen through glass. You know, yeah, he's kind of this British dude uh-huh. with his kind of you know car dealer buddy, uh, and it's fun. He just had the ninety right. Uh, which is the new two-door version, yep. And he said, well, it looks sexy, he loved it, but he could not live with it. He said, basically, it's like a two-door sports car, so he was complaining about the fact that the doors are heavy, uh, and that the back seat is all but useless because you can't get into it, but there is a point that he made, which is true, and that is, in the back, and I know we're talking about now utility, so you could put the seats down, and the back of the seat is covered in this kind of plastic, uh-huh. like diamond, fake diamond plate, it's great, yes. which is great, but the problem is, it doesn't come completely flat. It kind of lays at a little 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 bit of an angle. Uh So whatever you put on top of it, including the dog, goes rolling into the back.
3: Yes, into the trunk.
2: Yeah, and it's funny because they don't do that in, like, the Discovery. The Discovery is completely flat. So uh, he was saying basically with the 90, while it looks cool, like there's no room in the back and you can't get anything in there because anything that you put in there kind of rolls backward. And then if you put the seat up, the seat is kind of at that uh, inverted triangle so that there is no room once that rear seat is up on the 90. Interesting. Uh, Whereas this one, of course, there's tons of room because there's a full third row in the back.
3: The rubber floors are great, though, because you can just kind of rinse them out. The rubber floors are great. Really good rubber floor. I love the rubber floors. Uh, I don't – I have a (laughs) – so it's a huge vehicle with a lot of utility but it's got the worst view blocker of any car I think I've, I've seen. View-locker? View-blocker. Oh, block, blocker. What what blocks the view? In the trunk, you know, where you typically have those little pull-out little… Um, um, it's like typically made out of rubber, or it's like a parcel shelf that comes down, so you block the view. Yep. In the Defender, it's this cloth thing that goes oh, in horrible. place. Oh, it's horrible. And it's, like, impossible to take in and out, and it just ruins the trunk space. Just, I would get rid of it completely and use a massive trunk.
2: It was one of the top five things I hated in the recent TikTok video. But
3: you just, like, you can't put stuff underneath it. There's not enough room underneath it.
2: Yeah, the normal one's kind of... They're retractable. They're retractable. This this thing is supposed to be, like, either flat or up. It's supposed to look cool, but it doesn't work. Either way, it doesn't look cool. Uh, The other thing that I found when I drove it up to uh, the mountains uh, a couple weeks ago, I felt that the cruise control was really fussy and hard to engage and not easy to figure out on the steering wheel. I, I, I was really having a hard time just engaging it. Yes. Like, like, like the difference between you know the, the proximity to the distance part and where you set the, the speed limit is really fussy.
3: Well, the weird thing, so 1,366 miles later, I still don't fully understand it. Exactly. It's, it's very confusing. What I have figured out, which is very counterintuitive, so you're driving along, you have your foot on the gas, and you're holding 74 miles an hour. Yep. When you go to set it, yes. you go to set Normally it. Normally you just put set, and that's where it would well, be. hang right. on. Hold up. You go and press set, yep. and it doesn't say it's set. Right. So what you have to do is take your foot off the gas, yeah. then you can set it, and it will display the speed you set it at. That's but it crazy. won't set while you have your foot currently on the throttle. So that was the thing. So I think that's what the issue is, yeah. yeah. Which is hard, though, because you, you want you need to keep your foot on the throttle to maintain the speed you're trying to set your cruise control at. But it's just very counterintuitive. I, I literally
2: spent like 20 miles trying to figure out how to set it, Tommy. And I didn't figure that out. All of a sudden, I, it just somehow engaged. and I was like, finally, it engaged. And then once it was set, you could resume it. So then it was set. But getting it to set. And then the other thing I found was that, that, that it kind of ping-pongs
3: when you're using. Did you find that too? With what? The steering when you're using that. Well, that's because you're using it wrong. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. You, you should not be relying on it. It's not, it's not. Well, I was testing it. I wanted to see how. Well, it's you know. not lane centering. It's not supposed to keep... It's an emergency thing where if you start to veer out of your lane, it'll push you back well, in. Well, then that's very confusing because like in most cars now, most cars have a form of lane centering, right? It's lane departure mitigation, but it isn't lane centering like autopilot where it'll keep you in the middle. Yeah, most cars do now have some... Right, kind of and center. so this
2: is a brand new car, so I just assumed it had that... You know, oh, let's face it, Tommy. The the technology... Okay, it's drive-by wire steering, right? So the technology to do lane mitigation or lane centering is just software. It's, a, it's the same, yeah. It's, just, it's the same. So why why does this not have lane centering versus lane? You know where it where it tries. I mean, they're doing they're trying to do the same thing. One basically one you're saying if you start to veer out of your lane, it will correct and put you back in the lane. Right. Whereas the other one
3: is it'll try to keep you in the in center the of, the lane, of the lane, which is kind of the same thing. Well, very different. Oh, for God's sake! The That's one just that some keeps, marketing once no, again no, no. marketing BS. The one that keeps you in the center of the lane is meant to be like a level two system where you can rely on it to, to drive you down the software. road. Software. I know, but you can't you can't use a land rover system I, to drive. I, if you use a land rover system to drive down the road, people will think you're on some kind of yeah hard, ping pongs. Yeah, it just goes left and right. And you know how I know it's your
2: software because in the Tesla, you can pay ten thousand dollars and upgrade uh, to full self driving, which isn't full self driving from autopilot, which isn't autopilot. Uh, but you know, you're not adding any uh, hardware to the vehicle. You're just using the existing hardware,
3: and all you're doing is you know using a software
2: upgrade to make right. it do that.
3: Yep. Yeah. But I think overall it was probably the best road tripper I've been in. I was very impressed with the quietness, the refinement. Um, pretty impressed with the fuel economy. Uh, very good radio. Uh, you know, there was a few niggles. Um, like, well, like we talked about, yeah. like like the wireless charger is pretty annoying. The void is <laughs> is pretty annoying. It doesn't do well if you've got more than one audio device Bluetooth. And I, and I, think, confused.
2: I think you know we we don't usually pay for satellite subscriptions because. Uh, we only keep the cars for a very short amount of time, so it, it doesn't, you know, uh, let's, uh, that's a whole another scam. God help you if you sign up for XM and you auto-renew it, which is what they make you do, uh, because uh, the pricing for XM uh, can be anywhere from like 9 bucks a month to 240 bucks a month. Uh, and depending on, you know, how hard you argue and talk, then you can, you know, negotiate in different plans. And they have all kinds of different plans. It's just a really... Um, It's just a really uh, purposefully, in my opinion, um, confusing uh, subscription service meant to keep you locked into a service at the highest possible price for as long as possible. I find that uh, to be very, um, in my opinion, once again, uh, not very consumer friendly. So I I have very little love for XM. I love, you know, the... The, the content they put up there, but the company itself, I think, has a monopoly. Uh, and once again, like any other company with a monopoly, they're abusing it, uh, and consumers aren't getting the very best. Because, like I said, I've paid anywhere from you know nine nine bucks a month to two hundred forty nine for the exact same service, and then I had a hell of a time getting them to actually stop, um, basically billing my credit card. And then I'll be darned if every time you don't call, you get you know you get Jimmy with an Indian accent who has a hard time either. Understanding what I'm saying or uh, has such a bad phone line that it's like, you know, connecting to somebody on Mars. It's just, you know, for as much money as you end up paying for the service, the amount of customer service that you get is minimal.
3: All right. We didn't use XM at all. We just went with but Spotify. It didn't we stopped. It, it well, ran out. it's because we're young and trendy. Well, why, and why not just use Pandora? I, well, Pandora? Pandora's for 90-year-olds. Who uses Pandora anymore? Spotify is <laughs> where it's at, or <laughs> Apple well, Music. I just
2: use Spotify? Well,
3: that's what we did. Yeah, exactly. So, that I mean, yeah, I agree. I like XM Radio. I do actually listen to it a lot. And I do listen to Pandora a lot because I'm 90.
2: But, but some manufacturers give it to you for, like, three months. Some give it to you for six months. Some for a year. Some for a year. I yep. think I think Jeep does a year, right? And mm-hmm. I'm going to say, uh,
3: Land Rover for whatever reason does three months. Three months, I think. Yeah. So the other thing I was worried about. One last thing on my trip, yeah. glass chips. I was really worried about getting a chip because it's got the heated windshield and it's got the lane keep and all the sensors. Um, turns out, I just looked it up on Safe Light, which is an auto glass place. Uh, it's a thousand dollars and thirty nine if you wanted a new windshield. Because it's got those little. It's got uh, the little heating elements uh, in the elements, glass. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, by the way, I'd love to get your. You know, that might be a story worth covering uh, in terms of what. What do you guys think about? Uh, you know XM uh, and the subscriptions what has your experience been am I way off base or have you had similar experiences with it let me know in the comments below uh, and if we get enough feedback we'll actually do a, you know a, a, this this podcast is kind of like two guys talking uh, but we'll actually do a real story about it and you know uh, do some do some real consumer news versus just me hand boning and giving you my opinion um, so yeah th- that windshield is crazy expensive but the question is does it work in the winter Tommy I don't know we, we really never drove—you know, we we did have uh, some bad snowstorms, but uh, I don't think we ever took it out in a really bad snowstorm well, where, where would, the windshield got coated so in, in, like, so frozen, snowy, slurry, kind of I icy stuff.
3: I did take it out in a few snowstorms, but where it would be really handy is in the morning when you wake up to kind of clear the windshield. Uh, in the past, I think they work pretty darn well. Uh, people hate them, though, because you have the little heating elements in it. Yeah. And you can't see them. Like, if you if you pay attention to them, they're definitely there all the time. It depends on how you focus your eyes. Yeah, I—, I just see past them. They're not an issue for me. Um, but, yeah, overall, I really would recommend the Defender. No mechanical or reliability issues other than some you know, slowness with the info screen. Um, but so when, what ends up happening here in Colorado? Because we have a lot of rocks,
2: so we have a lot of windship cracks, right? So people end up uh, replacing that windshield with the regular one without the little lines, because the right, difference cause it's is a thousand bucks versus a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, uh, we did that with
3: our Discovery. Yeah,
2: and so those, those tend to be in the factory one, but then by the time it gets sold and is used, it tends to just have a regular windshield. How about the headlights? How about the headlights?
3: Very good. Yeah. We have the um, nicer of the two headlights, so yeah. there's a couple different headlight options, but the headlights are very good. I Honestly, they're so good, there's really no difference between the brights and the low beams, so I just leave do they steer? Are they, are I they don't think they steer. I didn't notice them steering. No, okay. um, but does have fog lights in the front and the back? Uh, how about how about recovery hooks? Um, it, we doesn't have one in the back. Yeah. Uh, although now it's different in twenty one. It used to be you can only get the ones on the X.
2: Right. They- so there is one in the front, it's hidden under a little plastic cover. Yeah,
3: and then we have the towing package, so we just put a recovery D-ring um, hitch shackle in the back if we needed to pull it out from the back. Um, but overall, I just like I said, i I've blown away with how it was as a road trip vehicle. I don't like the size in the city. Like when I'm driving around town, I'm just like, oh, why is this thing so big? When we're on the road trip, you feel really safe and secure, and you can just carry so much stuff that it's a, it's a nice thing to have. So I kind of feel like, you know, when we're doing these reviews, I, got, I have to point out the negative
2: because I think people uh, actually enjoy me. Hopefully, maybe I'm wrong, doing my rants. If you don't enjoy it or if you do, let me know in the comments below. We do read our comments. Um, but, uh, it, you know, in, in all, we've had, this is like I say, potentially our third one, but I do love the vehicle. Uh, it's one of those vehicles that just speaks to my, my uh, soul and my heart so and my brain It you know it, it's both functional uh, in terms of on-road and off-road and emotionally I connect with it because I think it's a very good-looking vehicle it makes me really happy every time I get behind the steering wheel at the end of the day you know that's what it's all about some vehicles I get behind the steering wheel and I can't wait to get you know into another vehicle. This is one of the, my favorite vehicles to drive that we have at the office. Uh, and you know, people say, "Well, you've had some you know pretty bad experiences with it, but I still love it." Uh, and maybe I'm a fanboy at that point, Tommy. I don't know. Yes, that's correct. Is that fair? That, that's maybe, fair. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm being a f- fanboy. I
3: love it as a road tripper. I think it's an excellent long distance vehicle. I still think it should be a Discovery and not a Defender. Off road. Yeah, I don't know why you buy a. Def- that's the other question I have. Why would you buy a Discovery instead of a Defender? There's no reason to buy a Dis- other than if you like the looks. But I would really strongly. Recommend not buying a Discovery of a Defender. Um, I, like I think it's a great vehicle. I think it was an, one of the seriously the best road trip vehicle I have. I still wish you know Defender name. It you think f- it's cannibalizing the sales of the? the Discovery? Oh, I'm sure it is. You think it I, is? I'd be surprised if they sell any Discoveries anymore. Um, well, I, when it, you know when we drive to the airport,
2: which our trips are starting to happen again, every time we drive by. Uh, The Land Rover dealership, which is actually on the way to the highway, I look, and I always see almost no Defenders, and yet you see
3: a lot of discos, and you see a lot of... The same, a lot of the same discos, too. Um, No, I I just, I wish, like, you know, from the enthusiast standpoint, it's incredible off-road, but it's just a little too big and expensive and a little bit too fancy to really be, in my opinion, a true regular off-road vehicle, and yeah. which is what the Defender always was, in my opinion. So I wish they had, had done like a more stripped down convertible version. Um, but it's an amazing, if you want a family hauler that'll seriously do a lot of off-road and is incredible on long journeys, then yeah, the Defender, I think, is a great choice. And this one, the, the 3 liter, we've got 40, uh, I think it's a 4,500 miles on it now or something. It, no problems to report. Granted, not a lot of mileage, but a lot more than the first one. And um, it's been perfect.
2: Yeah, and uh, of course, you know, we're going to hold on to it. We usually keep these for about a year uh, so that we can do a full one year, you know. And I think especially this one, it's important that we hold on to because of our experience Wait, with when it. when you get more miles on it. Yeah, so get some more miles on it and let you know what it's like. Uh, and, uh, you know, honestly, I'm curious to see what happens when the new Bronco comes around. Hopefully, we'll get our hands on one of those to compare to it. So, uh, you know, the video I'm dying to make, of course, is Forerunner versus Defender versus Wrangler uh, versus Bronco. Yeah, for sure. That'd be fun. All right, guys. Thank you for listening and for watching.
3: Um,
2: as always, what's our, new, uh, what's our new slogan that we're testing this morning? I don't remember. God, now I forgot, too. Not
3: a great slogan, apparently. But no, hold on, hold on, hold on.
2: Start your day with... The, start your day the TFL way. There you we go. get a lot of comments, people saying that they love to uh, like, you know, drink coffee and uh, watch our videos. So uh, every day you know, on one of our seven YouTube channels, we have at least one video. So tell me what. Start your day.
3: With the TFL way. Oh. No, not
2: with coffee. The TFL way. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. See you guys next time. Thanks for watching and listening. Bye.